0: Hi, I'm Debbie george Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? And yes, we're in our new studio again, Our uh, my least during the week studio until Thursday show. Uh, very funny. I use this new studio. Very grateful that we have a growing network and growing studios uh, at, America Can we, at America Can We Talk and Real News PR. Today we're going to talk about migrant caravans are political weapons. Recalling Soros-funded Enemies of America... Census as a political weapon and school shooting and gun battle is raging. And of course I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. I am America. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, health care freedom race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. In this first five today, I want to talk a little bit about the migrant caravans that are heading up to America. You know, we had this problem really starting, um, actually starting, under the Obama administration when the Obama-Biden team spent a lot of time encouraging people in other countries to think of America as a very welcoming, safe heaven with essentially not really very much in the way of immigration laws or application of asylum standards. This began under Biden, excuse me, it began under Obama-Biden and it was part of what uh, you heard during the campaign when Donald Trump is running for president in 2016, pointing out how ridiculously porous America's southern border is. And I want to just take one point about that very quickly. At the time in 2015, 2016, when Donald Trump is running for president, you know, he's, we're looking back at eight years prior to that of the Obama-Biden administration. And when President Trump, or then-candidate Trump, first began talking about the border, there were many people who saying, why is he talking about that? I mean, you know, he's Republican, he should talk tax policy, he should talk military policy, or some other things that were very common. But really, among the many things to credit President Trump for was he brought to the attention of the American people the fact that there had been an actual ongoing effort by the Obama-Biden administration for eight years to essentially eviscerate the southern border and to begin to treat. And the reason for that is because the way Obama and Biden think about the world. It's long been a goal of the socialists around the world to destroy the concept of nation states, to advance this idea of a socialist utopia someday run by some elite ruling group, whether you call them the UN or World Economic Forum, or whatever other group you wanna call them, the globalist people have thought for decades that one of the main goals of advancing socialism is the idea of abandoning border states and abandoning the idea of nation states with, with sovereignty. And so what Trump did running in 2016 was to point this out, to point out that we have ridiculously poor southern border And the reason he had to point it out is because we have a complicit media in this country, a lapdog media that pretty much repeats whatever the left-wing talking points are. And you gotta know that Obama and Biden did not spend any time informing the media, informing America of their policies at the southern border. Of course, we did have a border problem then, but now fast-forwarding to where we are here in 2022, we now have advancing up through Mexico, potentially the largest migrant caravan ever, And we have, during the course of this brief and torturous uh, Biden administration, have had massive, uh, not only abandonment of the southern border, but enabling of people who cross America's border, enter America, not just so we don't stop them. We put them on buses, we put them on planes, we send them around America saying, hey, make yourself at home. By the way, there's a hearing coming up, You you can come or not come, and no one, of course, shows up for their asylum hearing because they understand that they don't need to because no one's going to enforce the law. We have, the numbers are so wildly ranging in this country, but a very, very, very conservative estimate is in the range of 15 million people living in America with no legal right to be here. More realistic numbers are more in the range of 40, 45, maybe even 50 million people. Certainly by the time we're done with this Biden, this torturous Biden administration, the numbers would be even bigger. So here we are, this migrant crisis, and we have another migrant group coming through uh, across our southern border. I wanna play for you a brief clip because you might think, well, the people coming across the southern border, you know, they're just from Mexico or maybe just a little farther down, you know, Central America. Uh, But I wanna play for you. This is a guy who is, parked outside the southern border you know he's in mexico waiting to cross into america and he is from the country of haiti so i'm pretty sure he couldn't walk here in fact i don't think he even swam someone enabled him and the thousands like him waiting across the southern border to come into america someone encouraged and enabled his transport here listen to what he has to say he promised the Ameri- uh, the asian community he will help them he will uh, call Title 42. He will help us having
1: real asylum. But now we need him to keep his promise.
0: Okay, so you understand he's saying Biden promised us we can come here. This guy is fully aware of it, Title 42. We played other clips on this show where we've had people from other Central American countries literally fully aware, more aware than many American citizens of what Title 42 means, this idea that as soon as this law is changed in America, you know we're not gonna have this ridiculous inhibition related to Title 42, in which we are trying to protect the American citizens from people who may be uh, carrying COVID or other uh, diseases. We have that still in, in place only because a federal court demanded it stay in place as we sort through uh, the various legal implications But I wanna tie in, I, I talked about this topic and named this topic, migrant caravans as political weapons. I talk on this show at all times and only about saving and preserving America. I don't talk sports, I don't talk fashion, I don't talk hairstyles, I don't talk about anything except saving America. And to the degree anyone in this country still thinks that the Biden administration is on the side of the American people, on the side of American sovereignty, You need to wake up and understand the reason we don't have a southern border being enforced by this administration is because they are welcoming. They are encouraging people to come here, not to pursue legal immigration. We've taken in America a million people a year. Legal immigration have for decades, and we haven't, and, and we could change those laws. You could expand the number of people or increase the number of people if you wanted to. But the Biden administration is not only encouraging people to come here with no legal right to be here, enabling and facilitating their arrival, their transport, their settling, everything they need. And you have this guy essentially saying, hey, hey, Biden told us we'll come here and you're you're gonna drop Title 42 and here we come. What you're watching is the Biden administration, it's a wrecking operation against America. That's what the Biden administration is. I'm not saying they want to kill every American citizen. I'm saying that he is a committed or whoever's really running the White House because it is not Biden, because he's senile and out of it, but whoever is running the White House, they don't want America as founded. They don't want America the strong nation state, America the leader of freedom, America as a sovereign nation. They are working actively and stridently to end America, America as a nation state, America as a sovereign state. It is the reason they abandon the southern border, encourage people to come here, and now we have a massive migration coming soon. And we have, of course, the southern states, especially the border states, are you know get, trying to get ready, trying to figure out how to deal with these people, how to what, what you do about people who come in who don't who have you know unclear COVID status. Perhaps they are contagious. May um, have other diseases, other problems. You have people along the border trying, the the states and the border communities trying to protect themselves and their active, actual American citizens. But the Biden administration is working against the interests of those border states, against the interests of the mayors and towns along the border. And they recently announced that they're gonna do something about it. The Biden administration is gonna take action. And that action is announced by the VAPID, Vice President Kamala Harris, that they have a new program. They're, they've just announced a 1.9 billion, B as in boy billion new program for Central America. And it's not It's not to secure the border. It's not to pay more border agents. It's not to finish the wall. It's not to secure, it's not to help the towns uh, in America having to deal with this massive influx of illegal aliens. This 1.9 billion program that Kamala Harris just announced is actually designed to give jobs to people in central america that can help so they earn some stipend they get some pay for get, for doing a job and targeting what they try to claim still is the reason for these migrant caravans which they say is climate change freaking climate change is their excuse for everything so this this program Kamala Harris announced so we're gonna pay billions of dollars to Central American countries so they can pay people to work on projects to fight climate change, as though if as though if there's any such thing as an actual project. To fight climate change that someone could do in those countries. But that is the way, that is a slap in the face to the American people, a slap in the face to the border states, a slap in the face to the people who live along the border and are trying to have a normal, law-abiding uh, life in America. The Biden administration would rather send B billions of your tax dollars to Central American for America for concocted absurdities like jobs to protect against climate change, so you're paying these people with the hope that, as she, Kamala Harris said, they find they'll experience more rootedness, they'll get more rooted in their home country. People come to America because, at least until recently, America was a safe country. America was a country that had economic prosperity. It had opportunity. It had law and order. It had a civilization. These people are leaving countries that don't have those things. And instead of exporting our ideas, exporting the beauty of freedom and capitalism and all the ideas that make America great, the answer of the... Biden administration is to send money so they can employ people for absurd, non-existent, and ineffective jobs to fight climate change. These people, to close out the first five, the Biden administration is not working in the interest of the American people. Once you fathom that, everything else they do makes sense. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So, I want to, um, there are a bunch of stories, and I always get this way on the, the, you know, before the show, more stories than time. This is life. Uh, but I want to turn and talk about something that's happening in San Francisco. It's a great thing happening in San Francisco, which is there is, a, today is the big day. Today's the final day that the citizens of San Francisco can vote on recalling their absurd, absurd district attorney, Chesa Boudin. Boudin, B-O-U-D-I-M. So, I called this segment, Recalling Soros Funded Enemies of America, because he's one of them. This guy, the district attorney in San Francisco, one of the many people funded by George Soros, who again, his mission is not to help poor people, it is not to make the world a better place, it's not to make people have more love and understanding, and his mission, George Soros' mission, like every socialist, every globalist, is the destruction of the nation-state, the growth and uh, empowering of an international, globalist socialist—you know—government where everything will be free and wonderful and utopian, and and no no bad thing will ever happen again. You know, this so Soros works very hard to undermine America. America has been the boulder in the road, blocking the path of the socialists working to bring down this country. He's been at it a long time. So Soros figured out, at least as far back as 2006, that the way, among the things he could do to fight America, to destroy America, to weaken America, I mean, he can fund anything he wants. He can fund presidential candidates. He can fund Senate candidates, U.S. Congress candidates, but he can also fund people that uh, for a long time the uh, left uh, hadn't really focused on enough and the conservatives were oblivious to uh, what that was happening, but it was funding people who run for district attorney and funding people who run for secretary of state. The district attorney idea, of course, is if you get DAs, district attorneys, who simply won't prosecute crime, who in fact enable crime, encourage crime, and announce ahead of time, don't worry, we're not going to prosecute you kind of DAs, those people will aid and abet in the destruction of America and bring about the chaos in America that Soros wants. So he's funded, since 2006 at least, races for district attorney and for secretary of state. And I wanna have my new producer, we, we, I have actually several producers, all of whom are wonderful Real News PR, um, but I wanna ask him to please put up, there is a, um, a, uh, let's see where it is, clip three, a picture, I just, in, just clip three, if you can put that one up. I want you to see, these are the people whose Soros has a, a small number of them, just a small, small number of the people Soros has funded. And so when I say Soros funds, leave it up there for a second. When I say Soros funds things, what I mean is he is, you know, he has he, more money than he could ever spend in, in, you know, a million lifetimes. He's a multi, multi billionaire, and he's got his central organization that he runs, that his, is his organization, and then satellite organizations around that, that he takes money out of his organization, funds the next level organization, uh, and then he has the, um, those organizations fund the next organization. So a lot of times you'll see names of organizations that have contributed to campaigns and they sound innocuous, like, you know, people who love America or, you know, uh, just some silly sounding name. They're all Soros funded, many Soros funded, and they're funded with the idea of pushing the Soros agenda of bringing down America. So the chart you're looking at right there, these are people in the 2021, 2020, 2020 campaign cycle. He funded the Philadelphia District Attorney, the San Francisco, District Attorney, the Cook County uh, U.S. State's Attorney, and the Los Angeles County District Attorney, all of whom are are part of this effort to induce and bring about lawlessness in America. So you can come back to me now. So what's happening today in San Francisco is there was a petition to recall the district attorney. Uh, And I want to just, there was a a short clip I have, and this is a guy who organized the effort in San Francisco um, to to get people to sign on. He's a volunteer guy. He's not a rabid leftist at all, a rabid conservative at all, but he got involved with trying to get Soros, uh, a Soros funded D.A., Chesa Boudin, out of office. Let's play this clip first.
1: June 7th is Election Day, which is actually the end of voting. Uh, San Franciscans have been turning in their ballots by mail. We're dropping them off here at City Hall uh, for nearly a month now. And we're excited. We are enthusiastic. We really aren't looking to... Um, celebrate this with champagne bottles corks flying because this is a recall that we wished we never had to do. Uh, having someone such as Bodine elected uh, and having him in with his malicious, fraudulent, pro-crime, pro-criminal, pro-drug dealer policies is something that we should never have had to suffer through. So what we found talking to voters when we were out gathering signatures about a year ago is there are lifelong San Franciscans, lifelong Democrats, progressive liberals, and even those who voted for him in 2019 when he ran, um, that are not only disappointed by him, but they're disgusted by what he turned out to be. He's ignoring the gun Enhancements and gang enhancements, which is something that has been used by law enforcement over the years to make a case against an individual uh, even stronger. So by removing those enhancements, that weakens the case, that weakens the potential accountability, the the uh, the jail sentence, for example. Uh, but more than that is uh, when he ran for office, he said nothing about. Uh, he was, if he was going to protect or prosecute the drug dealers that we have a big problem here in San Francisco and National knows that, that we have this 24-7 drug market actually not that far away from where we're standing. Odin never said that he was going to uh, pretty much allow the crimes against our most vulnerable uh, Chinese-American uh, uh, com- community that we have here. Uh, And we saw that play out for the last couple of years now, and and this is just horrendous that uh, people are getting injured, killed, targeted uh, their businesses, and he's doing nothing about it.
0: Okay. That guy does not strike me as a rabid conservative. But what's happened in San Francisco since the time Chase Abudin has been in office is just, if you can imagine, because I visit San Francisco quite often. In fact, I practice law in California. And over the years when you have to do your MCLEs, your mandatory continuing legal education, I was practicing law in San Diego, but it was always kind of fun to get to go to an MCLE in, in San Francisco. It's a cool city. You know, I mean, the weather's never very nice, but beside that, it's a really cool city, fun place to visit, but as everyone who reads understands, San Francisco has gone to ruin in the last few years, and it has been growing lawlessness, growing unwillingness to enforce simple things like, you know, prohibiting public uh, urination and defecation. Uh, and so people are allowed to relieve themselves anywhere with, with impunity. That was one, you know, a, a step the left pushed as toward uh, creating more understanding, toward sympathetic to people who are homeless. The homeless problem there is out of control, and it's not just that people are homeless, and so you see people, it's that they're aggressive, panhandling, I mean, aggressive to the point of stopping cars, and you feel like you can't proceed without giving them some money. It, the, the San Francisco has gone to ruin in so many ways, including now to the point of physical attacks on innocent citizens, and the city keeps raising taxes to pay for all this lunacy, left-wing lunacy, Policy they put in place. So finally, a group of citizens, as you heard that guy describe, he's not talking about, you know, the, the rock-solid conservatives somewhere. He's talking about people who want to live a sane life in a normal city. He's talking about people who just want to you know, be able to walk from home to work. And that's one of the fun, fun things about San Francisco. It's really you know, densely packed in. You can walk a lot. Of, it's a great walking city. Tons and tons of exercise, of course, because the hills go up and down. I mean, it's a great, and it used to be a great and fun city. And even my husband grew up in California uh, in a small town. And his mom, I mean, years ago, my mother-in-law used to love to go there for a weekend. It was really the big city because they were in a very, very tiny little small town. And so what's happened in San Francisco, even before this DA came along, was atrocious. It just, just destruction of the quality of life that impacts everyone. But now this guy came along, and I just wanna show you the next thing, um, what has happened since this DA came along. To, to basically tell you the point, I'm gonna do one second here. My um, I, I think this is a clip two, but not quite yet, but be ready with that one. Anyway, what's happened is, and it's happening around the country, is the district attorneys, um, who are funded by George Soros are people who basically take the position. They're pretty much not going to enforce the law. And any attempted enforcement of the law, uh, except for major, major crimes like murder, uh, they are they snark at, they lay, look down on, and they say it's you know, somehow racist, intolerant that we have to find more understanding. And so, instead of you know jailing people just because they grabbed your purse and ran away and used your credit cards, or you know prosecuting them, we have to understand. And so, we've had district attorneys announce policies around this country saying, you know, if you steal less than X uh, in value. It doesn't really count. We're not going to prosecute you, which is like a license. It is like an encouragement. It's like what Biden and Obama did, encouraging people in Central America to come up to uh, cross America's southern border. This is the left in a different form, encouraging chaos in the cities by district attorneys, many of whom uh, their campaign was funded by Soros, saying we're not going to prosecute you if you steal less than a certain amount. Uh, We're going to get you back out on bond in moments. And so you can go out and and mug some Else, you can mug somebody, you know, maybe get in front of a judge and you get held for a night, but you're back out the next day and you're mugging somebody else the next day. Happening around the country. Well, San Francisco has gotten to the point that even that city, which you have to believe most conservatives have fled the city, they don't want to live there. They can't live there comfortably and safely, so they don't want to live there. Even San Francisco is now saying, you got to be kidding. We don't have to put up with this. So I sent uh, my happy and very helpful producer here today, um, a um, a clip uh, 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 two, which is a chart. This is the crime that's occurring in San Francisco and the willingness or lack thereof of this district attorney. Yeah, there it is right there. To prosecute people, he's basically just saying, you know, I don't really prosecute people. I just, uh, you know, I, so what's happened, if you, if you can't see that chart, I do want you to leave it up there for a second. What is being pointed out? This is the source is the San Francisco DA's own office as of May 30th, so it's not you know um, someone's conjecture. So what you're seeing there is across the bottom are the years starting at 2011 and coming up to where we are right now, 2022, as of the end of of May, so just you know last week. So you, so with these the different colors are the bottom, the navy blue, or the darkest color are the felony prosecutions. The next color up the light blue, are misdemeanor prosecutions and the the above little small part and i actually can't see it because like orangish i think whatever it is um are cause motions to revoke which i'll explain in a moment but getting back down look what happened as soon as chase abudin was sworn in as district attorney on january 8 2020. so he's you know he's started his d.a job there two and a half years ago look at the the reduction in the number of prosecutions and this is not because crime has stopped. Crime has gotten worse. It's not because crime stopped. It's because they don't prosecute. So what do you think if you live in San Francisco and you're the one mugged, you're the one robbed, you're the one suffering and this this idiot guy is saying, "Well, our new policy is, you know, we want love and understanding and we might be a tiny bit concerned, what if there's racial overtones if we, you know, or what if we have some record that doesn't look good?" So the best the plan is we just don't prosecute. We just kind of let crime go. You don't even need a DA if you're gonna do that. But this is a, you know, this tweet that I had up a second, you, can, you don't have to put up again, but that I had up a minute ago, is talking about whether, um, is basically saying, San Franciscans of all persuasions support this recall. You know, this guy, Budin, tries to say it's a partisan witch hunt, but you know, what the people who want him removed are saying is, um, it's not, it doesn't matter if the city has suffered because of his specific policies, or, or because he's incompetent, he just has to go. But the answer is, it is specific, it is intentional. And on Boudin, I just want to tell you a little bit who he is and how in the world any voter in San Francisco got behind him. But this is what the left has managed to do to dupe people in America. So Chase of Boudin's background, very quickly, he is the child, and then he's got both parents and step-parents of four essentially wild leftists Criminals. So his own parents, um, I want to get to his, yeah, his parents are, um, uh, they they named him Chesa, by the way. C-H-E-S-A, what kind of name is that? Chesa. They named him to honor a convicted murderer. The person murdered, the murderer was Joanne uh, Chesimard, and he, they made his name up to honor a murderer. His parents, and then later his adoptive parents, were respectively part of the Weathermen. The Weatherman underground that committed multiple murders in America um, in the 70s, and then the Black Liberation Army, or the other. Uh organization that that was the one his adoptive parents were active in so you have a guy raised by people who basically they're telling you we hate america we're striving to take it down we're doing everything we can think of to take it down so help us you know let's destroy america and so as you heard that one guy who had organized the effort to bring uh this petition to the people of san francisco saying you know why are we uh can we get rid of this guy please you know he's pointing out That, you know, he didn't run saying, by the way, even if you're mugged, even if you're you know beaten and, and now there is a huge problem with gangs picking, especially on Chinese Americans. There's a very significant Chinese population in San Francisco. In fact, one of the most fun places to go in San Francisco is Chinatown. We every time I went there, living in California, we, we always went to Chinatown and you know enjoyed our time there. It's a very fun place. So anyway, this whole idea, you know, he ran on trying to say, I'm gonna end mass incarceration, I'm working on reforming our criminal justice system, and people are now figuring out. What that means is you can, you, you can end mass incarceration if you just don't lock people up who commit crime. That, that's one way. You can reduce the crime rate by not prosecuting. But, I mean, this is, this is the absurdity, and it's actually it's sad for people in San Francisco. It's horrible for the victims of, of, of the crimes that are occurring, but it's a great message, and I think America is waking up uh, on both uh, the idea of the district attorneys who were put in place by the funding of George Soros and the encouragement of George Soros, and also the secretaries of state. And I wanna get to that point in this first half an hour before we go to our commercial break for the radio listeners. There is a wonderful, wonderful woman in the state of Colorado running for secretary of state named Tina Peters, Tina Peters. She was the Mesa County clerk in Colorado, she uncovered massive fraud within the Dominion voting machines. I mean, like actual proof of fraud. And for her effort, she's now been prosecuted uh, because of her exposing what Dominion did. She's the one being prosecuted. She gets out of jail from being a brief holding after this being um, charged. And now she's running for secretary of state. She is one, the conservative answer to what Soros does in putting People like Chesa Budin in as a DA and secretaries of state around this country who work to get Democrats elected to contort and manipulate laws, she's an answer to it. Tina Peters, wonderful American hero, she'll be on my show this coming Thursday, so uh, you mark your calendars and don't miss the show this coming Thursday. For our radio listeners, I know you're getting off to a break. It's a three-minute break. Please know this is Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk? Come back after a three-minute break. You can always watch the show on my website, americacanwetalk.org. Talk to you after the break. Okay, so I'll do a quick story for our um, everyone online listeners, who are most of our listeners, we, although it's fun to be on radio and fun to hear from radio listeners. Um, I, I wanted to turn the topic a little bit to talk about what is going on with this Um with a census, you remember when uh, President Trump valiantly and wisely, and by the way, really clear, President Trump's policies what were America saving. I mean, literally his victory, his unanticipated victory in the 2016 election, the four years he served, what he did to raise awareness about the um, election fraud in this country, what he did to raise awareness about the border, failure to enforce the border, the need for border security, what he did on trade deals and bringing back jobs to America and, and standing up strongly saying, we're never gonna be socialist. He did many, 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 many great policies. And I'm very, very grateful for him. It doesn't mean that I, I can't. I can criticize. I have criticized some of his policies. I don't agree with everything he says or everything he tweet. He tweeted, but he was a he was a uh, he was a true boulder in the road to stop the socialist takedown of America, which was Obama was planning all along the eight years he was president. But back to where we are now about the census. I, I put census as political weapon. I call this segment. So you recall President Trump had tried to during the time he was president to say, we have uh, the census this time, let's at least either only count citizens, actual legal citizens, or designate on the form, you know, whether your status is you're a legal citizen or you're an illegal alien. You're not really entitled to be here. And the significance was very very high as to what he was trying to do because the census determines among many other things two vital things. It determines the number of representatives each state gets in US Congress. So we try to keep more or less every member of Congress represents more or less is you know the same amount of people as around 700,000, I think, or something like that. That every congressman should represent. So if a state has a big influx of population, they get more members of Congress because they're they're keeping uh, it proportional. Uh, each member representing a certain number of people. The second reason that the census matters so much is it's tied to federal funding of all kinds. So federal funding is tied to population, and so you know if a state chooses to harbor illegal aliens then they're going to get more money from the federal government because we're counting in the census the number of people who have no right to be here and are only being protected because the state is letting them do that trump tried to get the census to say that we're going to have a um We're going to at least either not count illegal aliens, or if we do count them, we're going to make clear in the census that they are not to be counted as citizens. This was an effort to make representation in Congress fair and an effort to make federal funding fair, not to reward states who harbor illegal aliens. Welcome back to our radio listeners. I'm wrapping up this point and getting my main point in the census story. So, on the census story, uh, I was alluding to while you are on the break, um, or briefly mentioning again how President Trump tried to have the census uh, change in the way the questions it asked to include, essentially, are you a legal citizen or are you not? And so only to have legal citizens counted in the census, uh, the courts went wild, the anti-American left went wild, and that did not succeed. But there was an announcement out of the census recently, and we only can do this under the Constitution every 10 years, just the, you know, the good and the bad of the census, every 10 years the Constitution requires it. And so we're stuck with this now, with these numbers, uh, the census people having rejected Trump's suggestion, let's at least designate legal-illegal but the census people just announced. I'm going to tell you. They announced a bunch of states in which they acknowledge they overcounted. They they have too many people in their census numbers, more people than actually live in that state. So those states will get more representation in Congress than they should have, and more federal funding than they should have because the census overcounted in those states. And they announced they had undercounted in some states. So those states will have fewer members of Congress representing their citizens than they should, and they'll get less money than they should because the census undercounted. Now, I just want you to take a wild guess whether the blue states or the red states benefited from these errors. So I'll tell you the answer. So, short story is the states that the census itself, this is not speculation. The census people themselves have now acknowledged they overcounted, overcounted Hawaii, Delaware, Rhode Island, Minnesota, New York, and Massachusetts. And what do those six states have in common? They are Dem. So we have six Democrat states gonna have more representation in Congress than they should. And similarly, census acknowledged they had actually undercounted Hawaii, Delaware, Rhode Island, Minnesota, New York, and Massachusetts. Undercounting mean you won't have enough representation as you should. Now, to be fair, Massachusetts uh, got undercounted, and they are, of course, a Democrat state. But all the other ones undercounted who will be harmed by the less representation of Congress and less money than their citizen numbers um, justify. Uh, all the rest are red states. You gotta understand the census, I know everyone is really inclined to say, well, just a mistake, can't be perfect. I don't think so. I think it's problematic. Uh, and I think it may be intentional. But anyway, um, you know, I wanna um, spend the last part of the show today talking about a, um, it's a very tender topic, and I did talk about it last week, but we had a, a, a horrific, of course, uh, any school shooting is horrific, a horrific school shooting uh, here in the state of Texas uh, last week. And, of course, it just breaks everyone's heart, and you, know, you can just hardly even stand to think about it. I mean, I have friends who just wrote emails just saying, I, I, you know, I, I can't stop crying about this. It's just, it just was really awful. And that was at Robb Elementary School. Um, in Uvalde Texas and I want to talk about it from several perspectives I first want to say as I did when I covered it last week to acknowledge they were heroes there were wonderful heroes who really kind of saved the day um, and and didn't you know couldn't do enough or couldn't get in the school fast enough but at least they did try and they they got into the school and um, ended um, ended up shooting um, and ended up ending the problem. So we had a, a Texas a dad, a literally a patrol officer, uh, go, going into the barber shop and getting a text from his wife saying, uh, you know, there's a live school shooting here. Help. I love you. So he jumps out of his barber's chair, grabs his barber, borrows the pistol of his barber, runs over the school, as all of these Uvalde police officers and others literally are hanging around outside the school, hearing gunshots inside the school, and not going in. I mean, we're going to get to that in a moment. But I first want to honor again the guy who ran in, and he literally just went in after his wife, his daughter, and to stop the violence. And he's the one who shot this this uh, perpetrator, who you know is just. I mean, we talked a lot about him last week, too, about the perpetrator, that we need to ask the right questions about what in the world motivated him. You know, where did he get the money as an 18-year-old loser goofball, unemployed, former part-time waiter? Where did he get the money to buy all the equipment he had, the $70,000 truck he had? You know, a lot of questions remain about that. But in any case, his brave dad, I also want to acknowledge uh, a woman who um, was... uh, at the scene, I'll tell you a very quick thing about her background. This is clip four, but before we bring up clip four, I listened to and read a longer thing about her. I just want to briefly mention. So this is a mom who is a legal migrant farm worker. That's who this mom is you're about to listen to. And that morning, and so she, farm worker, meaning she's working in the field, she's getting dirty and dusty. And that morning, her daughters had had a graduation thing um, at the school that day, in the morning, ending the school year. And she told them she didn't want to come because, you know, she was going to come from the field. She was going to be dusty and dirty. And the daughter said, no, no, you have to come, Mom. You got to come, Mom. So she does. So she goes to school. She attends this um, little graduation, got a picture of herself with her kids. And this is an actual hardworking person, legally hardworking Person. She leaves and then she figures, finds out later that there is a shooting going on at the school. So she goes back to the school as she reported to a reporter, you know, drove 100 miles out of the whole way there. Anyway, goes back to the school and she wants to get in the school and try to protect her children. So I only got a bit of a clip of her. I'm going to tell you more of it. It was too disjointed, but I have a brief clip so you can see what she looks like here. Her short story, I'll say some more afterwards.
1: Right away as I parked. Um, U.S. Marshal started coming toward my car saying that um, I wasn't allowed to be parked there. And uh, he said, well, we're going to have to arrest you because you're being very uncooperative. I said, well, you're going to have to arrest me because I'm going in there. And I'm telling you right now, I don't see none of y'all in there. Y'all are standing with snipers and y'all are far away. If y'all don't go in there, I'm going in there.
0: Okay. I mean, much of what she had to say was fairly colorful language, which I'm not faulting. I mean, she went through the mother's worst nightmare nightmare ever. She did rescue her girls. But what I want to say about her is they literally, the police who are not going in, and by the way, the police had just had a training, an active shooter training, within the last several weeks before this occurred. And they, I I don't even know, I mean, I don't even know where well, they sit around looking at each other, uh, couldn't figure out who should take charge, what should, I mean, it was the most egregious, outrageous failure of, on their part, and they truly all should be, at a minimum, at a minimum, fired, perhaps prosecuted, because there's a dereliction of duty question there. If, you're, if your job is to protect that school, and, and you can't figure out with an active shooter In fact, one of the statements by one of the officers in the scene was, well, they weren't sure if they should enter. They were afraid they're going to be shot. Well, okay, that's, you know, I'm sorry because no one would like to be shot and everyone would be afraid. You take that job, you take that risk. It's like a soldier saying, well, I couldn't go into battle because what if they shot me? Your job is to do your job, and that's the job you took. Fired at the least, perhaps prosecuted. So that was one great, great hero was this woman. So she eventually, the local police, I forgot which way it went. The local police handcuffed her and somebody else, the marshals had to take it off, whatever it was. They took the handcuffs back off her. She leaped over a fence, raced into the building. I mean, at this point, finally, there are police officers going in. She's asking, she said, give me a vest, give me a vest. They They didn't have one, didn't give her one. I mean, she's running around the school, finding her kids, grabbing them both and getting them out of there. And, you know, this is Mama Bear Central, of course. It's a wonderful story about how women, it doesn't matter what background you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter your race, ethnicity, you know, national origin, or skin color. It's a Mama Bear thing. You're going to protect your kids without question, period, full stop. So she, she does that, but she gives us an interview afterwards. She's explaining she's standing around outside the school looking at these officers and she's saying she's like, you have snipers, you're standing around, do something, and they just didn't. And I'm sorry, I know they were afraid. Anyone sane would be afraid, but this is what you're trained for. And this is what they had just committed within the last few weeks to do, to be ready for an active shooter situation. So that is a horrific situation. We have not finished resolving. I hope we're still gonna learn more and more and more about the shooter and learn the things that really matter which is like, you know, we already know his family, didn't have a dad around, uh, being raised by a grandmother. Uh, you know, mom had a, had, a drug, had a drug problem, had a lot of police interaction with the mom. And we, we had a kid from a troubled childhood. And and so you can do a lot of finger pointing about troubled childhood and lack of a father in the home, lack of discipline, lack of structure, a normal unit of family structure. Uh, that would be one thing. Many questions look into about whether or not he had been have received counseling of any kind, uh, whether he was taking uh, medications of some kind because many of the school shooters have some involvement with psychotropic drugs that are supposed to be treating certain situations and don't always do that. But there are people who need to look into that and report that about him. Many, many things we need to know. Unfortunately, what is the left does, as they always do, every single time we have any incident of violent shooting, any incident at all, the left goes off the cliff with gun control. That is the answer in the left-wing mindset, is gun control. And I first wanna make the point as we are watching in so many other examples we are watching the destruction of america at the hands of the biden administration abandoning the border treating the military like it's a you know, it's a psychological uh, petri cup experimental place. We're going to discuss pronouns and who got offended most and turn each other in and all the just garbage that goes on in today's military with destruction, intentional, intentional destruction of the economy through massive promising of more money and more free things and printing money, just just insane level uh, inflation in- intentionally created, uh, rising gas prices, one whole issue by itself that uh, we were watching the destruction of America right before our very eyes, many, many other examples. And so you need to see the Biden administration demand for more gun control in that context. The Biden administration is trying to destroy America, the free, the sovereign, the great, the unique, the extraordinary. They don't. He's a leftist. He's a globalist, socialist type, and he doesn't believe in America, the great, the unique, and the extraordinary. That is who Biden is, and that's why he's doing the things he's doing, or who's ever really running the White House, because it's not him as he is seen now. But back to the gun situation. The left always goes for time to grab guns. And I want to just mention, uh, you know, on this subject of guns, Several things, historic, and the historic part matters, like who grabs guns, and then what the real record of gun use is in America, and then share a few stories with you about people who used them and saved uh, lives by having guns on hand. But historically, I will just point out that every leftist tyrant in the history of the world, at the point when we had guns available to the average Joe, it's among the first things they do is take away the guns that belong to citizens. It is what Lenin did. It's what Hitler did. It's what Castro did. Recent example, our generation, our era in Cuba, when Castro came to power, it's one of the first things he said, my gosh, we've won, we've overthrown the evil, whoever his name was, uh, and we've won now, the people have won, turn in your guns, you don't need them, and the people did it. Not realizing that he... Castro was going to make it illegal to try to leave the country, illegal, illegal to try to move to freedom, illegal to speak. They're, going to, they're soon going to have political prisons filled with people who said anything about Castro, or even they thought said anything about Castro. Castro used gun control to bring about his control, his communist control over Cuba. It was one of the tactics he used. It was an intentional tactic he used, took away the guns uh, as did uh, in Venezuela. You had Chavez and Maduro, the citizens are unarmed. The unarmed citizenry is helpless and tyrants throughout history have figured this out. An unarmed citizenry is helpless. And when a leftist government like Biden's says, well, we're not gonna take, we're gonna take away all guns. We're just talking about AR-15s. We're just talking about this, talking about that. Do not, do not fall for that. Leftists always, always, always want to take away the weapons of the people. I saw a great little meme about the Second Amendment just saying, you know, the Second Amendment was written by our founders, not because they had just returned from a hunting trip but because they had just overthrown their repressors, they knew our founders knew the importance of having an armed citizenry able to stand up against tyranny. The Supreme Court has acknowledged that the Second Amendment is not there to support the hunting club or you know or any other sport use. The enti- the purpose of the Second Amendment, the highest purpose is a guarantee to every individual citizen you have the right to own an arm, an arm, and be armed. Excluding, of course, violent criminals who then lose their right to have those guns, but they'll, they'll get guns anyway, to, under, to be clear. The violent criminals who are largely not permitted to have guns, they'll get them anyway. So the Second Amendment is there for a really deep, important, profound political reason. And history bears out that reason. History shows us why that reason matters so much. But the leftists now are talking about, well, you know, but it's just AR-15s. I mean, who needs an AR-15? We're not saying taking guns away. Oh, no, 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 just the AR-15s. So I want to talk a little bit about um, actually uh, uh, what really happens with guns in this country in terms of, you know, who is protected by them um, and, and who, whether people are harmed or not. Um, by having them on hand. So there's data gathered, um, you know, left, something the left hates is actual data, but uh, data gathered by this, an organization, Gun Owners of America. I want to talk about their data, and this is linked on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. AmericaCanWeTalk.org. I link this article on the website, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links. There are more excuse me, there are far more defensive gun uses than murders. Guns are used far more in defensive situations in America than they are to murder people. And so they have data. I mean, in fact, the other thing they, they uh, collect about data is the, the fact that defensive use of guns has saved lives and the fact that the media never reports these situations. Never, never, never reports them. Because anything that buttresses the idea that guns in the hands of law-abiding citizens actually makes America safer, anything that buttresses that takes away their argument, their mission, the high ground they claim to have, that they are actually entitled to take away guns and people don't need them. So their data, um, this was a a report. This one was actually from Uh, September of 2021, Um, they have some examples given, but then they say, you know, there are a few of the nearly 1,000 instances reported by the media so far in which gun owners have stopped mass shootings and other murderous acts, saving countless lives. So gun owners actually save lives because they can stop criminals with guns, because criminals see that you have a gun. And and the good guy has a gun, and you're you're, going to stop some of them. So some of the stories get reported. Often the stories do not get reported, but they gather data. I urge you to read that article. But I want to just tell you um, two uh, recent stories involving uh, guns, AR-15s, and how this whole idea that somehow the left argues America will be safer if you outlaw gun use and gun ownership by law-abiding citizens somehow America will be safer, which is the most ludicrous thing, because the people you want to take the guns away from are the violent criminals who are criminals, who don't follow the law. They don't care what the law says. They're not going to say, well, now I guess I won't go shoot up that grocery store or that school because now guns are illegal, so I can't get one. The guns used by criminals are often stolen. They're not even legally purchased. And so the idea that you're going to punish American citizens and take away a right on the Second Amendment because you think somehow that the criminals who use guns for evil will stop doing that because the state, you know, the government now said you can't have guns. I'll tell you one great, great, great story. So there was a a graduation party in Charleston, Virginia, excuse me, Charleston, West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia. This is just uh, like two weeks ago or less. Yeah, less than two weeks ago. So, graduation party, Charleston, West Virginia, some four-time previously convicted felon, so, you know, bad guy, bad, bad, bad guy, you know, steals an AR-15. So, if you outlaw AR-15s, of course, he wouldn't have bought one. Wait, he didn't buy one. He just steals it. Their guns are here. They're not going to go away. And the people who own them aren't going to give them up. There will be guns available for purchase on the black market or any other way. Bad guys will get guns. So, the bad guy a four-time convicted felon, shows up at a graduation party in Charleston, West Virginia with a stolen AR-15 and is waving it around. This is less than two weeks ago. This is May 27th, I think, whatever it was. Um, Anyway, shows up at this graduation party waving it around, threatening people. You know, people, of course, scared out of their minds. And this woman, law-abiding gun owner, pulls a pistol out of her pocket, shoots and kills him. God bless her. And then... As everyone else is running, she shot the guy who's now you know, not going to be able to use the gun anymore. And then she calmly waits for the police to come and tells the police a story. I'm telling you, law-abiding people, it's not at all surprising that she waited for the police. She understood what she did. She's clearly been trained in the use of a gun, and she understood this is a situation that she's been training for and she's going to go for, and she ends up really likely saving the lives of many people at that graduation party because she had a gun. One teacher in any of the public school shootings who'd had a gun and knew how to use it, trained and knew how to use it, We'll never know how many lives could have been saved. There was also a case of the affirmative use of an AR-15 by a woman in Tampa, Florida. Her a bad guy, a criminal broke into her home. Uh, two masked guys, one grabbed their 11 year old daughter. The other one was beating her husband, who had been, had some sort of uh, disability discharged from the military, uh, you know, was maybe not totally physically strong. In any case, he's being beaten. Give me everything you have. And beating him, you know, she feared to death. I mean, beating him very harshly, very strongly. And she goes in the other room. This woman, by the way, nine months pregnant, goes in the other rooms, grabs the AR-15, unloads, kills the guy. And, And I think she killed one and injured the other. The point is, guns actually save lives. Now, personally, I get, I have lots of friends that I'd never touch a gun. I hate guns. Okay, don't get one. Don't get one. No one's making you get one. And yes, everyone feels afraid about the idea. But what if I were in a situation where a criminal pointed a gun at me? I'd be thinking, dang it, how'd that guy get that gun? So that question, how'd that guy get that gun that 's a very different question from wouldn 't it be a swell idea if we take away guns from all people and that is not a good idea, not a good question not, not a good um, stance to take and you know I have to say i'm grateful that the um, that the Uvalde situation um, you know it, it was a horrible, horrible situation but i'm, I'm really I'm, I'm grateful for the commitment we as Americans need to make that we're going to look into this guy, everything about his background, what explains his behavior. He had sent creepy messages prior to that, um, talking about his plans to shoot people. So maybe we have to believe people when they say those things uh, and be more, more assertive, more aggressive towards people who do those things. Um, and we have to, its a reminder to every school officer, everyone who, a patrol officer, understands if you agree to, you commit to work at a school, and you get in that situation, you better be ready to fire your weapon. And back, and I, one reason I want to do this story today is that you know I I do this show for everyone, men and women, everyone. But I started my show calling it "Ladies, Can We Talk?" and then changed the name to "America, Can We Talk?" But I know there are probably more women than men in America who be sympathetic to and supportive of the idea of more gun control, of limiting access to guns. And all I'll say to you is, it's an emotional reaction. And it's an understandable emotional reaction, but you really don't wanna be part of disarming the law-abiding citizens in this country who will take action. And you're never, never going to get all guns out of the, every criminal's hand. You're never gonna make a law that says any that prevents any criminal from getting access to guns. That's never going to happen. You have to use logic and not emotion in figuring out what you think about this issue. For our radio listeners, you're going off to your end of the show. This is Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk. Go to americacanwetalk.org and watch the show there and come back tomorrow and Thursday at 3 p.m. For everybody else, I close the show by telling you, I do this every day, I close the show by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show. We have our We do have a slide. That's good. We start our show with uh, migrant caravans are political weapons. Massive assembled migrant caravan groups are not spontaneous random occurrences. They are an organized part of the leftist plan to take down America. Do not doubt me on this. Leftist caravans assembling in Central America. A Haitian migrant says Biden must keep his promise. End Title 42. Offer full asylum. What are Biden's promises to the American people, and why aren't those his priority? Kamala Harris announces 1.9 billion to Central America to aid in fighting climate change. Just think what that could do, what 1.9 billion could be used for in the USA. The policies of the Biden-Harris leftist cabal are mocking the real needs of America and Americans day after day, week after week, month after month. How long will America put up with this? I'm recalling Soros-funded Enemies of America. San Francisco DA, Chesa Boudin, facing recall. Today is the big day. I'll tell you tomorrow how it comes out. Impatience with lawlessness, even in San Francisco. Los Angeles DA, George Gaskin, may also be recalled. I didn't even get to that story. He's another one needs recalling. Uh, Boudin, son of Weatherman Black Liberation Army activist, named after convicted cop killer, And Gaskin, are products of Soros-funded strategy to achieve leftist control of law enforcement, Soros seeks to engineer a society devoid of the Ten Commandments as the baseline of law and order. Leftist DAs are on the side of criminals. Results are catastrophic to all citizens. Crime rates spiking up. Lawlessness hurts everyone. Tragic irony in the Bible's answer to Soros' hatred of biblical views. You reap what you sow. Citizens of San Francisco and LA are seeing real-time evidence of the reaping. Will they rise up and stop the sowing? I think so, I think they will. Census as a political weapon. The US Census Bureau, just one more completely corrupted federal agency, refused President Trump's request to distinguish citizens from non-citizens in the census count, now revealed to have made mistakes in the 2020 census, Overcounted Democrat blue states and undercounted more conservative red states. You cannot tell me this is accidental. Why do all federal agency mistakes seem always to favor leftist political power? The DC Beltway, a cesspool of unaccountable bureaucrats utterly disdainful of the American people, draining the swamp will take generations and school shooting and gun battle raging. Stories abound where lawful gun owners save lives and prevent mass shootings, but leftist media does not cover them. Something smells in Uvalde. Answers timelines keep shifting. Excuses for police inaction don't ring true. Handcuffing parents who wanna save their children's lives? The new police chief goes into hiding and won't cooperate with the investigators? Americans have lost all faith in the integrity of law enforcement and in government itself. Too many liars, too many lies. We the people must force a radical course correction. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. I'm Debbie George-Jadis. This is America Can We Talk. Where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time.
1: we talk truth about America.